Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. We are not our history. We are the stories we tell ourselves. And you'll find that you talk to your parents about some of the things that wounded you as a child. You know, you say, you know, mom, when you said this to me back in the day, I remember this situation that happened and your very selective memory, because we can only store so many memories from our lives. And it's usually the ones that are super amazing or super painful. That tends to be what we have the capacity for, right? And so you revisit one of those situations and say, I remember when you told me blah, blah, blah. And then your parents go, what? That's like either that barely happened or they tell you the context of it or they tell you what came before or came after and reframe it for you. And you go, what? I always took it as X or I just remember the Y or I whatever. And again, you're selectively choosing the pieces of those stories that you have chosen to take on. And they continue to be the narrative that plays out in your head. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Leslie, I'm actually thrilled to be able to do this in two parts. I think that it says a whole hell of a lot to me about how much uh, you have packed into this book. One of the things that you say uh, before you start to introduce us to the things that block swagger is that if you start to believe your own hype without having the actual chops to back it up, you not only start making bad decisions, you also literally brainwash yourself into believing you're better than you are, which leads to less of a desire to improve. And I appreciate the fact that you put that in the book because I feel like there's so many people who believe in their own hype with nothing to back it up. Uh, Why do you think that people even get away with that? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of that, particularly in the online world. I think there's actually an expectation to do that. People believe that the fake it till you make it thing is what ultimately brings them success. You know, if you can convince people that you're amazing before you feel amazing, you have a better chance of becoming amazing. But I don't really believe that. I think that you want to, you want to experience self belief, but that's different than confidence. You know, you you can only experience true confidence as a result of true competence. Only, only when you've done something enough times 
that you become unshakable in that? Do you exude what that thing that everyone aspires to, that, that confidence? You know, people can come for you and you go, ah, I'm all good. It's fine. You can think what you want to think, but I know where I am in my journey. The, the thing, the problem with that though, is that whenever you get to that place of confidence, it's such a freaking relief. You know, you go, Oh my God, I finally know what's going on. Oh my God. And you don't want to move outside of that so quickly. And the, mm-hmm. I think the difference between people who really um, accomplish great things in their lives is that they don't get too comfortable in the place of confidence, that they're really mm-hmm. okay with going back into that, you know, getting punted out of confidence and going back into that confidence building thing. So yeah. when we, when we, you know, convince ourselves that confidence is everything, then we actually limit our ability to grow. And, and self-belief is very different. Self-belief is a choice. And to me, what self-belief is, it's just that unshakable kind of, you know, that center that tells you that you can take a step off the cliff into the unknown or into what appears to be the drop or the nothing and that you're not going to die. You know, the things might happen to you. You might experience a bunch of things and it might not go as planned, but you're not going to die and I, and I think that lack of self-belief is what stops people from going into the unknown. So there's, there's these, all these different elements in my, in my mind from my perspective. So I think <clears throat> if you believe your own hype too much, then you don't get into that competence building. And if you don't mm-hmm. believe in yourself enough, then you don't take a step off the cliff. So there's kind of a sweet spot there. It's like hustle, hustle and humility mixed together. Yeah. No, I, I love that because I, I think that one of the things that I've become hyper aware of over the last year or so, you know, based on the conversations I've had with people here on the show and my own reading is the role that cognitive biases play in the assumptions that we make and the decisions that we make, uh, which is why I frequently tell anybody I'm teaching to consider the possibility that everything I'm telling them is bullshit because it mm-hmm. might be for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I wonder, you know, when it comes to this whole idea of, um, you know, believing your own hype, like, why do people ignore context so much? You know, like, like I'll give you an example just to frame it. So like, you look at an online course or something like that, right? And you'll see that, oh, this person got this result. So if I just follow them and do exactly as they did, I will get that same result too. You know, like uh, I had a friend who has been a guest here before. She sent me, I think, 10 different websites from 10 of her clients. And I put them all up to next to each other. And I said, I'm going to pass on all of these guests because I have no idea what the fuck any of these people do. And it sounds like they all do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, oh, boy, I think that we, you know, our, our lack of uh, our context or lack of context. So let's, let's take context first. We will compare ourselves to, to that, which we, we find impressive. And just because we find it impressive doesn't make it by definition impressive. That's just perspective. You know, I remember my, my mother, my amazing mother, when I was a little kid watching the news and she said to me, Leslie, you, you realize that there are other, there are other news crews taking a different perspective on this. And the ones that you're seeing are showing you only what they want you to see. So you're not seeing what's real. You're just seeing what they want you to see. And it doesn't make it true and it doesn't make it right. So you have to be able to form your own opinions about, about these things and imagine that you're seeing a much bigger picture than you're being shown. And, and I think that in our, in our social, you know, social oriented world, 
we have, we develop this incredibly curated view of everything and we don't want to think about what is, what is true and real beyond that. And so, you know, we're, we're going to like what we like. We're going to gravitate towards what we gravitate towards and we're going to believe what we want to believe. I think it takes a really strong mind, you know, in, in, in this today's environment to go, yeah, okay, but. Right. Because that's the opposite of what, what that curated social media thing is trying to do. They're saying, no, 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 just see only this, see a collection of this, a palette of this, a reinforcement of this. Don't think about what I might look like off camera or what this situation might be besides this. Just, just accept what I'm telling you. And I think we've become super myopic as a result. Yeah. I mean, I I think that that sort of myopia tends to lead to a lot of delusional optimism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Delusional everything. Delusional pessimism too. I mean, it, yeah. I think it, I think it works, you know, in, in many ways. I think that we have a, a far less sense of what's true and what's real. We've seen that. We understand that in the media that what we're seeing now, where we used to really believe that what we were seeing was real, we now know for a fact that what we're seeing is not necessarily real, which is terrifying for people because they want, mm. they want the concrete. They want that which they can trust. Wow. Well, let's get into the first swagger blocker, which is persona. Uh, and you say the first swagger blocker separating the real you from the world is persona. So many of us develop a conscious demarcation between who we really are and what we reveal to the world, particularly in the context of our professional lives. We do this because we've been conditioned to believe that there's a way we're supposed to show up if we want to succeed. But the truth is having a work persona does not help. It just hides our uniqueness and shrouds our value. And you may be the one person who can finally answer this damn question for me. <laughs> uh, because I think that when you're a public figure, uh, it comes with some very unique challenges. So, you know, perfect example. I was on a reality TV show. People said a lot of, you know, not so nice things about me during that. And, uh, you know, the person they mashed me up with, everybody else had plenty of nice things to say. But one of the things that I was very mindful of was the fact that I am a public figure. I have a body of work and everything that I say and do in such a large forum is a reflection on every single person in my life, my investors, my literary agents, my speaking agents. And uh, so I, I think that this is one of those that I really, you know, is one of the ones I've, I've thought a lot about this when I thought about sort of, you know, what's involved in the psychology of building an audience. When I met Glenn Beck, I wrote an article titled Person versus Persona and the Media Mask, because I think inevitably I am a different person behind the microphone than I am with my roommates and closest friends, because a lot of the things that I say to them would basically be career ending PR crisis in the making. So where's that boundary between, you know, being genuine about this and being a jackass? Uh, I don't think, see, I, I, you know, a lot of people um, get down on the concept of authenticity because they say it's an excuse to be an asshole. Now you could just be unfiltered, uncensored and say, Oh, I'm just being authentic. It's just who I am. It's just the real me. That is not what swagger is, is all about. And I, and I think also that, that, you know, yes, I might, I'm, I guess I might say different things to my best friends, you know, in the context of conversations that I would say in service of the swagger message, for example. Yeah. But if they were conflicting, then I'm full of shit. I might yeah. say them differently or express them differently. I might swear more or I might be more specific or whatever. But if, if I'm changing my context, if I'm full of shit about what I believe in, you know, I think it's mm-hmm. about, I think people mistake professionalism with credibility. And that's where I think it gets very messy because when, 
I know. And it's a very long and rocky road because very often when we step into our professional environments at the beginning of our careers, we start with that mask of persona. We walk, talk, dress, behave, fucking business buzzwords and acronyms and all the shit that we think that is going to, is going to gain us entry into this new tribe that we've, that we've entered into, you know? And, and then it just continues from there. And we tell ourselves that the reason that we are experiencing success or we're ascending is because we're doing that. You know, we don't think about the, the, the spaces in between where our humanity is shining through. We think about, well, I must be succeeding because I'm doing this right. I'm playing this game, this role, you know, correctly. And so it just goes on from there. So mm-hmm. what I always say to everybody is you gotta, you gotta be who you are from the jump. Like from the time that you go and you interview for a job, for example, you gotta let no. them see who you are. So if they do want you, you can go, oh, phew. Okay. So they want me for who I am. And yes, there may be people in my work environment who are trapped in that persona paradigm who aren't going to like it because my realness holds up a mirror to their lack of realness and the fact that they're very trapped and they don't know how to escape it. So the more, the more authentic and the more real I am and the more people will gravitate towards me as a result, because we know that we fall in love with people with whom, for whom what you see is what you get because we feel safe with them. You know, we don't feel like there's something, you know, there's something hiding behind that's going to like, you know, um, uh, those those are the people that we we love and respect in our world but for so many people they've gotten so disconnected from it they don't know how to get back there and they feel like it's going to be this big radical shift and and for me professionalism is being respectful of other people that's fucking cost of entry don't be an asshole you know mm-hmm. it's it's um it's doing your your work to the best of your ability it's trying to elevate the collective and not just yourself it's about um taking responsibility when you screw up and it's about you know it's about being a part of something bigger than you and considering the goals of the collective you know to the best of your ability to me that's what what being professional is it's not about wearing a certain kind of shirt or speaking a certain kind of way but i mean if you're if you have a client meeting and you you believe that your client is going to be offended if you swear a blue streak then it's not good for the collective for you to swear a blue streak but when you're in yeah. a meeting with your colleagues and you're a swearer swear your fucking ass off it's who you are it's not going to hurt anybody nobody's ears are going to fall off or bleed and i and I think that you have to learn to make choices. And, and if you, if what you say and do is out of alignment with what you think and feel, you know, you're experiencing what I call the swagger gap, that you're full of shit yeah. and you're, you're trapped in persona somehow. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. 
And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. It's it's funny you say that because there are two experiences that come to mind for me when you say that. The first was you know, the, the first and probably the last time I ever you know went to give a talk at Pepperdine. My dad saw it. He said, you used way too many swear words. And you know, part of it was I think I'd been watching these Gary Vaynerchuk pieces, you know, speeches, and I was like, wait a minute, like this actually doesn't serve the message at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, as yeah, and that was a pretty profound realization for me. I was like, okay, I'm not Gary V. I shouldn't be swearing just for the sake of swearing. Uh, the other one is job interviews. And I love that you brought this up because, you know, I have been fired from every job I've ever had. And now that you've said this, it makes a lot of sense because I was really good at interviewing because mm-hmm. I could put on that mask and I could go in and I could basically present the image of who they wanted me to be to get the job. I and mean, of course, I could never keep the job because that wasn't me. And I remember thinking if I'd ever had the opportunity to do it again. I had one last interview for a real job sometime in 2011. And it's funny because I wrote about this in my book where there was a guy there basically said, you know, when we say, you know, eight o'clock, we don't mean 815. And I think if I had been honest, I would have just put the interview to the end right there and said, Uh you know what, guys, I think I would hate working with all of you. So I think let's just save each other some time and, you know, call it a day. Like clearly I'm not a good fit for you, but I didn't. Um, And what's funny is the woman who was hiring for the job got fired. The person they hired got fired, uh, you know, and then this other guy was just a a lifelong person who just followed rules. Yeah. I, I I mean, I, I understand how badly uh, we want to fit into the tribe because that's primal. Right. That's if, if we don't fit into the tribe, we're the first one that gets eaten, you know, in the, in the event of a, of a famine kind of thing. So we, 
we want to fit in and we feel so proud of ourselves when you go, yes, I have been accepted. I have been approved of. But if you're being accepted and approved of for being someone other than you're not, what is the fucking point? What is the point? You know, we cannot be for everyone. When we are for everyone, we become like this artificial, vanilla, bland, nothing. And, and, you know, yeah, it doesn't make waves. And yeah, you think you're making other people's lives easier and that you, you're going to experience some kind of security as a result. But when you are screaming on the inside and going, I can't, yeah, I'm trapped in this, in this, you know, vanilla, world when I'm a double, triple fucking, you know, mochaccino with a twist of lemon and some cayenne pepper sprinkled on top, you, it will not last. And I would rather be, be respected and accepted and loved and approved of by a few for who I really am than accepted and loved by everybody for who I'm not, because it's not real. And we're so starving for approval that we'll do anything to get it. It, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking because we don't know how to self-validate. We don't know how to internally validate. That's not anything that anybody teaches us how to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been kind of like writing about this idea of what I call a crea- uh, creative MBA, which is kind of what I want to start to form based on just looking at curriculums in both MFA and MBA programs. So there's this huge knowledge gap, uh, which is you know, largely around the subject that you're talking about, because you can learn how to do all these different things. You can read all these business books, but if you don't address the very things you're talking about, you're kind of building it on a house of cards. Yeah. Oh, listen, a hundred percent. That is what inspired this book in the first place. Because I, you know, I, when I, when I launched combustion, which is in my training company in 2008, I mean, it was called something else initially, but the company that eventually became combustion and I was training skills um, for which I considered myself to be relatively expert. That was, that was what made combustion different. It was subject matter experts who became trainers in order to share that knowledge and make people's work lives better the very next day. That was my whole thing and doing it in a very irreverent, very soulful, very human centric kind of way. But what I discovered, it didn't like, it didn't matter where I went in the world. It didn't matter the level that I was working with CEOs down. It didn't matter the culture. It didn't matter the, the, the company that, you know, at their core, people didn't feel like they were good enough to succeed. They didn't feel like they could reveal who they really were and still experience the success that they were dreaming of. So all of these skills that I was teaching them, storytelling, presentation skills, creativity, you know, leadership, the, it was, it was like built on the most incredibly shaky foundation because how could they actually internalize these skills and, and own them if they weren't internalizing and owning themselves? You know what I mean? It was yet another layer that they were putting on the outset. Okay, uh, presentation skills. Okay, I got to look like I'm, I'm all over it. I got to look like I'm super confident. I got to look. I was like, no, we got to learn what it means to feel that. What what can you tap into that is proof for you so that you can that you can experience that sense of true confidence? So then when someone questions you in the moment, you don't fall off your center. You don't freak out. You don't crumble or you don't get mad or all of those things that, that become the shit show when we're, we're having to, to get up in front of people, you know, and, and when I, when I realized that and I, I spent all of my time trying to break people down when I had them in front of me, that was, that was what my training became. It was like this deconstructing of their psyches 
to show them that if, if they pull out who they really are, even for a moment, and let other people in that training experience see them and experience the feedback from that, that they'd start to see the proof of concept that start to go, wait, wait a second, when you like that, that was good. And I was like, yeah, that was so much better. That was so amazing. That idea, that that thought, that the way that you carried yourself, the way that you told that story, you were like a different person. And I'm like, no, 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 that was actually you. That was the real you. Do you understand how much of you you are leaving off the table? You know, and if you tapped into everything that you were, how, you know, what a difference this would make. So I, that's why I went, I mean, I, you know, skills training is great, but it is not going to work unless people believe that they are worthy of embracing this new information and using it in a way that only they can and, and, and then bring it back out into the world in an incredibly powerful place, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, you know, a conversation that comes to mind for me is, is my friend, Erica Lermark, who has also been a guest here. Uh, I remember she would tell me, she said, you know what? She said, when I talk to you, per, like, you know, offline, she said, you're incredibly opinionated to the point where you'll say things that piss people off. And she said, but that doesn't come into your work. And she said, and that's going to be the difference if you're willing to do that. And Justine Musk once told me, and I have quoted this quote a thousand times because I think it's such a valuable quote. She said, if you have a bold and compelling point of view, it will piss people off. And I remember the moment that that happened, that when I, I finally embraced those two ideas, that's when everything changed. Yeah, but, but sorry, it's about your intention. You yeah. know, if you got to, that's why, that's why that is so key to swagger is you've got to know why you're saying or doing the thing, not just because it needs to be said. Okay, well, if right. it needs to be said and all you're going to do is alienate people. There's no fucking point because it's not going to land. People aren't going to embrace your truth. You, you, you're, you're actually going to defeat the purpose of saying it. If, if your intention is to help people understand a different point of view, then you don't yeah. change your truth, but you, you got to have the smarts to be able to reframe your truth so that it lands so that people uh -huh. understood it's, it's understand that it's not just about you and not just good for you, but it's good for the greater good and for the collective. And when you, when you learn how to do that, to make things that are important to you, important to other people because they have a connection to it in some way or they see that it also benefits them or that they can be part of something bigger and greater, then you don't piss them off. Then you're mm -hmm. just, you're just, you know, creative or you're just strong minded or you're just whatever. You're not an asshole. And I, yeah. and it's like one of the things that I wish that I could, I could teach people how to do to like with nuance. I talk about it in the book about how truth is about it's, it's, you don't change what you say, but you reframe it. And you also think about the when, the where, and the to whom you speak it. Because yeah. if, if it's go, if it's not going to land in that moment, you're wasting your breath. And if you want to make sure it gets heard, you got to get a little strategic about it. You know, cause yeah. that's what gets people into trouble is they just puke out their truth and expect everybody <laughs> to sift through it for the good chunks. It's like, yeah. no, no one's going to do that. It's not going to happen. Well, you know, I, I've often joked that, you know, my, my book, Unmistakable Lie Only is Better Than Best, could have easily been called Everybody is Full of Shit. But to your point, that's exactly why it wasn't called that. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think it's about, you know, like sometimes the shit that comes out of our mouths is us trying out ideas. You know, we're, 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 they form in their heads and they're out of our mouths before we even, you know, even really think about it in process because that's how we operate. And then it's only by the reflection of other people that we start to go, hmm, was that, you know, did I do that the right way? Was it the right thing, the right time, the right place? Or do I even believe this? And and the the people who I respect most in this world are able to 
to do that and then to sit back and and hear what other people have to say and reconsider you know what they said or or how they said it to kind of either clarify their intention or go, yeah I go yeah that probably here was my intention. That probably wasn't the best way to communicate it. I'm not backing down from what I believe in, but I understand why it didn't land the way that I had hoped it would land. If we, if we could do that better, we would be able to have that, that kind of better, better discourse across the board as opposed to my ideas. The, my thought is the thought. And if you don't like it, you could fuck yourself and all the rest of it. <laughs> and I, you know, people, people say about me that I'm like, uh, that I'm incredibly direct. I get that a lot, but I'm also like, that I'm like cartoon violence, you know, yeah. that when I have a super strong opinion or when I get in your face, it's not like I'm going to punch you in the face. It's more like, you know, Bugs Bunny with the mallet. It's, it's like, you don't, it doesn't re it doesn't really hurt, but it gets your attention. You know? Yeah. Well, let's talk about this whole idea of ambition because it, it's such an odd paradox to think that mm. ambition is something that blocks swagger, but you say there's a big difference between being purely ambitious and being in your place of excellence. Raw ambition forces you to constantly look skyward, focusing on the next rung up the ladder instead of inward and being present in your journey toward accomplishment on your own terms. And I love that uh, as somebody who I think, you know, had ambition, you know, to a fault to the point where my ambition actually alienated a lot of people. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I made some decisions that honestly I'm not proud of mm. truly out of ambition Yeah, while I was in business school. That's like I cut it. friends out of projects without telling them. I mean, you know, and I lost friends for good because of that's it. exactly it, babe. That's exactly it. Because the reason that's that, that ambition can be a swagger blocker and don't get me wrong. I'm all for ambition. I'm all for success and striving and taking risks and doing, you know, do you, uh, if it comes at the cost of your authenticity, eh, 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 not, not okay, because you're going to be left alone and you may have what you perceive to be success, but trust and believe that at a certain point in your life, you're going to have a little come to Jesus with yourself and go, holy shit, what did I have to sacrifice in order to get here? Who am I and how did I become this person? So I think that, that when we are looking upwards to the next rung of the ladder, what we get so fixated on that, that by definition, we don't focus inwards enough because if we did, we would, you know, we would check ourselves. We don't focus enough left and right to our peers and colleagues because we need them and they are part of our journey. And that's part of being professional and respectful of other people and being part of the greater good. And we sure as hell do not focus on our followers. You know, for all those people who are listening, who are aspiring, aspiring to be leaders, you cannot be a leader without followers. And followers have a choice. Just because you are a people manager or you have a title does not mean you will have followers. And if you do not focus on your followers, and if you're not in service of their growth and their journey, you do not deserve the mantle of leader. And so if your swagger, if, if your, if your swagger is coming, um, uh, you know, it, it, if it's at the, it, at the expense or the, 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 your authenticity is coming at the expense of your ambition, then that is not about swagger. So being in your place of excellence is saying, I want to do a really great job. I want to learn. I want to do the best that I can, not just for myself, but for everyone who is connected to the work that I do. And I want to help lift the people around me. And when you do that, you don't have to climb because people will lift you. That's the beautiful thing. That's what people forget is that people will lift you. Because if you're a natural leader, then when, when leadership roles are open, yeah, sure, you go for it. Absolutely. And everybody else is going to endorse you for that. You're going to have so many people going, oh, yeah, you know, 
Srini's like, you gotta, he's the best. He, he's, you know, he's got our backs. He's amazing. We trust him, all the rest of it. And yes, you're going to have to adjust to new status as you move up the ladder, but that's the least of your problems, you know? Mm. But so I I think that, that it can be a really slippery, a really slippery slope, which is why you got to watch yourself with ambition. Yeah. So one other sort of follow-up to this whole idea of ambition, when you see things like you know, the way that our politicians behave in the United States, you know, the way our, our startup, uh, you know, CEO founders behave when they've, you know, achieved billion dollar valuations. Do you think that there's a danger of pushing ambition and self-interest to the point of diminishing return? And, and how do you recognize that before it happens? Listen, you know, I've always said that, you know, that, that power absolute corrupts absolutely. I, I mean, you, you can't, it is the very, very rare individual who remains uncorrupted in some way, shape, or form as a result of, of having massive power. Because I think we, we disconnect from reality at a certain point. When you, when you forget what it means to, to be and feel um, like someone who is deep in the struggle, that's when everything is lost. And if you can't stay connected to that, you just, you lose your, your motherfucking mind. You lose your motherfucking mind. And I, I, watch, I watch people in power and I shake my head and go, what, like, have they really forgotten what it felt like and what it looked like to be, to be in a place of wanting or in a place of not having or in a place of struggle? Um, and I, I think it's really, really, really hard to hold on to it. Um, I, you know, I think the amount of money that people are, are allowed to collect is an obscenity. Um, my husband and I talk about this all the time, that there should be a cap as to how much money one individual can have. And beyond that, the question is, what do you do with the remainder? Because that's the true test of who you are. You know, like, yeah, to keep your keep your $100 million, because when are you ever yeah. going to be able to spend that? But after that $100 million, <laughs> it is time to share it with the world. And what kind of things do you want to share it with? How do you manage those projects? How do you, what do you do? Like, you, I look at Bill Gates, what he did, you know, it, or what he continues to do for the latter part of his career, and you go, that's what I'm talking about. You get to a point where you go, okay, I'm richer than God. What do I do now? Okay. I'm going to set up really smart foundations where people have to take responsibility for their returns. So it's not just charity after charity after charity. Um, but I'm going to set all these things up for success so that people who do um, have that intention to change the world are going to have that, that leg up to do that. And I'm going to support them in that. So I, you know, people often say to me, so what celebrities, you know, what public figures do you think have swagger? And I go, how the hell would I know? Because for the most part, what we're seeing of them is completely curated and based on not the stuff that they say on social media or they say on on news or interviews, but based on their actions in terms of what kind of contributors they are to the greater good, I would say almost none, like almost none. Because, because they lose their minds in the process. You know, that's, that's what yeah. happens. <clears throat> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast. Code acast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this whole idea of insecurity. You say insecurity is rarely about the challenge we're about to take on. It's the history of self-doubt that's the killer. Uh, so how do you resolve that history? I mean, we can't rewrite history. Whatever's happened to us has happened to us. You know, mm -hmm. you might have been told by your parents you weren't smart. You might have been told by some kid in the school you're an idiot, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You can't change that. So mm -hmm. with that in mind, how do we actually deal with this history of self-doubt so that we can resolve insecurity? I, I'm going to be glib with this one and say we are not our history. We are the stories we tell ourselves. And and you'll you'll find that. Um, you know, when you've ever, when you've ever been around someone or even for yourself, where you, you talk to your parents about some of the things that wounded you as a child, you know, you say, you know, mom, when you said this to me back in the day, or remember this situation that happened and your very selective memory, because we can only store so many memories from our lives. And it's usually the ones that are, 
super amazing or super painful. That tends to be what we have the capacity for, right? And so you you revisit one of those situations and say, I remember when you told me blah, blah, blah. And, and then your parents go, what? That's like, <laughs> that's like either, either that barely happened or they, they tell you the context of it or they tell you what came before or came after and reframe it for you. And you go, what? I always took it as X or I just remember the Y or I whatever. And again, you're, you're selectively choosing the pieces of those stories that, that you have, have chosen to take on. You've chosen <laughs> to take them on and they continue to be the narrative that plays out in your head. You know, like I was told, um, so a perfect, perfect example is, you know, I had amazing parents. My parents supported me a hundred percent. However, I was a really difficult kid. I was completely wild. I did not follow the rules. I had big issues with authority. I was super precocious. Um, I was, you know, I would act out a lot. I was hyper, all of those things. And so my mother would, would often say things to me in, you know, trying to help me like, you know, Leslie, you're so incredibly creative. If only you could just focus a little bit more. You know, Leslie, you're so passionate. If only you could like pick your moments. Leslie, you're so, you know, you're so this, if only. And what happened was it didn't take long for me to stop hearing the first part of that and to only hear the second part of that. I became a caveat, if only, if only. And that stayed with me for years and years and years. And I believed that I was somehow not good enough. That there was some that I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, for with with people that they would accept me on the surface, but really they were thinking I was too much, too big, too loud, too whatever. And I wore that, and it made me very, very angry and very frustrated for a lot of for a lot of years until I realized, wait a second, that may have been true of someone's perspective at a certain point in time, but that is still their perspective and their opinion. And if I wear it, then it's mine. And it's the equivalent of, you you know, going into the fucking airport, going up to the baggage carousel, dragging somebody else's baggage off the carousel, dragging it down the causeway, taking it home, unpacking it, and putting someone else's dirty underwear on your head and strutting around in it. Like, we would never do that. But we pick up other people's baggage like it's fucking candy, and we wear it, we eat it up, and we let it take root in us as truth. As opposed to saying, wait a second, in the past, I was told that I was X, but today people tell me that I'm Y. And yeah, I couldn't be where I am and do what I, what I do today without having been the, the sort of, a, you know, a collective of my history. But I can choose the damage that I continue to wear, or I can choose to recontextualize it and embrace who I am right now, in, you know, in my journey. So I just stopped. I just stopped hearing that in my head and you can't like your, your psyche is going to talk to you. It's going to say something. The, 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 the key is not to just put your fingers in your ears and sing and go, la, 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 not listening to negative voices in head. You have to literally record over them. You have to replace them with something that's going to, uh, that, that's going to play just like those negative tapes did and when they did. So the same way that, that in a situation and the negative tape is going to go, you're not good enough and you suck and you don't have what it takes. If we can record over those tapes, the same trigger is going to go, you got this, baby. You know, you got the chops. Get on it. You know, you're going to be fine. You're not going to die. And you can do that, but you have to, you have to almost like exercise the demons. You have to get them out instead of trying to suppress them 
or hide from them or be mad at them. You have to say, come on out and play inner saboteur. You know, let's get you out on paper. It's an exercise that I do with people. I get them to write themselves a letter from their inner saboteur and I go, go nuts. Like get evil dirty with yourself because we accept so much more shit from ourselves than we would ever accept from somebody else. Like if, if somebody came in and said to me some of the shit that, that plays in my head, I would punch them in the face. <laughs> I would lay them out. And you know I can. I would lay them out. And yet I choose to allow that I, I choose to allow my own insecurity to speak to me in that way. So I get people to write a letter from the inner saboteur. And once it's out on paper, and it's a totally emotional exercise because I want every dark, dark and shitty thought that you have about yourself to come out on paper. And often when I'm coaching people, I'll read it back to them, which is really difficult for them because now it's somebody else's voice saying the things that are their worst fears, their, their worst, their worst beliefs, you know? And then once we're done, I go, okay. So like any good lawyer, I want you to write a rebuttal to this letter, but I want you to use facts and not supposition. So I want you to sift through your life to date and find concrete facts, proof to dispute these points of insecurity. Okay. So it's not just like, don't, don't be mean to me. I'm a nice person. And you know, I just want to be loved. Uh-uh. I'm going to talk about, you say you're unlovable. And when in fact you have a partner who loves you, you have friends who have known you and loved you for the past 25 years. You have a, those are facts. Those are indisputable, right? So I get them to do that just for like line by line by line. And then I have them, um, sort of compress that down to distill it down into what I call the swagger mantra. You know, find the highlights of that. I'm a blah, 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 blah person, or I've, I'm, I'm a person who has accomplished blah, blah, blah. And I deserve all the good things because, and no one can take it away from me because, however you want to frame it. But it's that distillation so that when that negative voice comes a chirping, you go, ah, ah, you put your hand up immediately. You don't even let it start. And you go, let me, let me tell you something. You trot out your swagger mantra. And if you need more, you start going through that resume of awesome. That is all of the things that are the proof. And, and slowly but surely, like in everything with your brain, you you have to do it with through repetition. You have to believe it. And it starts to shift that balance. So now the voice that in your head goes, actually, I'm a beautiful, lovable human who's got a ton of passion, who is committed to doing great things in this world. So fuck you, inner voice. You know, that's mm. that's what happens. It's work. It takes work, you know? But yeah. I find so many people that I work with get into the whole victims thing. Well, you know, the voice always comes and I can't. I'm like, well, if you're not going to fight it, then you're not going to win. You know, you got to you got to be in the game to win. Yeah, it it reminds me of, of something a boss, one of the many bosses who fired me told me, he said, you're not a, the, the type of person who's interested in controlling your own destiny. And it's funny because, you know, I owe him a huge debt of gratitude for telling me that. Because That's pretty insightful. It's pretty insightful from a boss. I, you know what I what I said? I was like, you're right. I'm not interested in controlling my own destiny in the context that you think I should control it mm-hmm. in. Fair. Working yep. at the same company for 20 years. I'm yep. like, you know, you don't do what I've done if you lack motivation. Yeah, no, no, no. And that's not controlling your own destiny. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, you know, working for the same company for 20 years is creating yeah. your own, your own illusion of security. That's, that's what you're doing. It's the illusion <laughs> of security. That's it. And it's an illusion. Right. Yeah. You know, and listen, some people make that choice all, all good. No shade to that. Um, but I remind people over and over again when they, you know, again, when I work with them and they say, I, I'm not happy in this or I feel trapped. And I go, dude, 
The security that you think you don't want to give up is a is an absolute illusion anyway, because they will fire your ass as soon as it's convenient to them. And if you have put all your eggs in that basket simply for security, you're going to end up very, very, very disillusioned and disappointed. So if you want to be there and you want to do your thing, great, all in. But if there's things about it that you don't want, that don't, don't fit you or don't fit you now and did fit you 10 years ago, you got to step. You got, you got to take your own life in your hands and understand that there are other options for you in this world. Hmm. Okay. So in the interest of time, uh, I want to cover pain and fear, and then I want to get into the things that drive swagger. So Mm -hmm. let's talk specifically about pain and fear, because I I feel like so many people are terrified to do whatever this thing they say they want to do is. I mean, I hear it over and over again, whether it's, you know, with creative work, whether it's starting a business, whether it's, you know, quitting a job or something. Uh, And you say that fear is where confidence goes to die a horrible death. Mm -hmm. How do you prevent that from happening? The thing that, that I, I love talking about when I talk about fear is the neuroscience of it. And you, you as a, as a, you know, as a hardcore creative, you, you get this that, you know, according to the brain, that which has been tested and proven equals good, right? We have a default system in the brain that says, you know, what I know, what I have context for makes me feel safe because I know that I'm not going to die. That, that is what the brain is designed to do for us in terms of the primal brain, the reptilian brain. And, and any time that, that, um, that reptilian brain is challenged, our context is challenged, our experience is challenged, we have this, this process that, that triggers in the brain. So we have, we have that which has not been tested and proven, which equals bad, scary, never done it, don't know what the outcome is going to be. And the, the, um, the reptilian brain takes over. It triggers the amygdala. The amygdala uh, produces cortisol in the brain. Cortisol floods the brain, which then causes the limbic and the neocortex, which are the really sentient parts of the brain, causes them to shut down because we don't we don't need those parts right now, according to the brain. It's run, kill it, or freeze. Those are the only options available to us. So now we lose the ability to think clearly. Our brains are flooded with cortisol, which then says to the brain, I got to fight, give me this stuff. And then you get adrenaline in the body. So you get that sweaty, shaky, kind of, you know, over amped kind of vibe. That whole paradigm is the the worst thing that we can imagine because the brain cannot differentiate between, you know, a tiger is going to eat me fear and someone's going to give me a side eye in a meeting fear. Fear is fear. There isn't, there aren't really levels of, of, of fear unless you know how to deal with them and, and quickly contextualize them. So you, when, when it comes to fear, you've got to learn how to not let that process run away to the point where the sentient parts of your brain get switched off. It's learning to be uncomfortable with discomfort. That is the key because discomfort is designed to stop us from doing shit that we don't know the outcome for. And we, we have learned, especially in the business world, oh my God, we have started to, to treat discomfort as something that it's like, oh, I don't know, that doesn't feel right to me. Well, based on your personal one, one person myopic, little tiny box, you know, experience, it might feel scary and uncomfortable, but that doesn't make it so for the world or for the, you know, for the opportunity or, or whatever it is. And so when, when we're dealing with, with fear, you gotta, you gotta embrace it and understand it for the for the bullshit biological process that it is. That is the key to dealing with fear: is to go. Wait a second. 
what am I really afraid of happening? Or I do, I play a game with, with, um, with people that I, I train. It's a game called, and then what? So when they talk about, about being afraid of a situation, I say, okay, take me through it kind of moment by moment. And they say, so they say, okay, so I, I don't know, I'm going to make it up. They're, they're afraid of confronting their boss about something. Okay. Okay. So what's going to happen? Well, I, I, I go into the, to the room. Okay. Great. I sit down. Okay. And then what? Uh, I broach the subject by saying X. Okay. And then what? And, uh, and they, I get them to tell to me moment by moment. And, um, and then they get to the moment of the, the thing that they think is going to be cataclysmic. I go, great. And then what? And they keep talking. And as they play this scenario out in their heads, almost inevitably, the end of the story is, and then I'm homeless on the street. <laughs> I go, okie dokie, great. Okay, we've talked, we've, we've talked about the entire situation. Now, can you pinpoint at which this story ceased to be realistic in your mind? And at the worst, it, the, the, the real, the realistic point is, um, and then I have to mend fences or, and then, um, uh, you know, my relationship with my boss has changed forever. Or, you know, and, and at the, the worst it's, and then the, the boss sort of questions me and gives me the side eye and the conversation turns or they, whatever. And I go, okay, so can we not contextualize the fear to that then? If we're going to deal, let's deal with that. So now let's have a plan for that. So let's, let's go send a scenario plan. We think one of three things might happen out of this. Let's scenario plan for it so that we're taking the unknown out of it. And now we don't experience that same level. Yeah, we'll get a little bit of a heart pound, but we're not. We're not going to 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 um, to deal with with this overblown, you know, imagination of what you know of of the us ending up homeless on the street. You know, I like every every career I've had, I was uniquely unqualified for, like uniquely unqualified for. (laughs) You and me both. You know, but I got an opportunity, or I I stepped into an opportunity, and I was totally, I I was totally open about the fact that I was uniquely unqualified. But what I do is I'm a big proponent of like transferable skills. So I, d- I would always tell people all the shit that I'd done in my life that was applicable to this in really like freaking amazingly unique ways that nobody else could bring to the party. And I would make it so irresistible that they go, well, let's try it. Okay. Sounds good. You know, what do we got to lose? And then I would just learn how to do stuff. Cause again, I would say, what's the worst thing that could happen? Like, really, what's the worst thing that can happen? And people do not ask and answer that, that question for themselves enough. So that's, yeah. that's how I deal with fear. Pain, on the other hand, the, the thing with pain is that it's scar tissue, right? It's, it's, uh, it's proof. And it's hard to argue with proof. But again, we can contextualize it because pain is, is the voice that says, oh, I tried that once. That did not go well. Hurt like a motherfucker. Hurt like a motherfucker. Did not go well. I am never doing that again because we as humans are, are conditioned to move away from pain and towards pleasure, right? And pleasure lies in the known. So we go back to that time and time again. And when, when it comes to pain, if we experience something 30, 40, 50 years ago that brought us pain, today we will still be afraid to revisit it even though 95% of the context has changed. That's how powerful pain is. So the key, again, when, I, when people talk about the, those, those scarring experiences that make them not want to take those risks and do those things, I say, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it and put it into perspective. You know, like even to say, so if you were in that situation now today, what would you do? 
And people go, oh, I would do X, Y, and Z. I say, okay, so then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So that is memory. It is not, it is not um, something that, that, that the scar tissue is there, but you don't have to face that pain again. That's been done kind of thing. So, um, but, but of course, this, you know, when, if you imagine those swagger blockers as being kind of concentric circles and the real you is, is trapped on the inside, pain is the one that is closest to you. It's the first ring. Because if you're not prepared to face down that pain, forget it. Is You're not going to get the benefits of swagger because you're going to have to push through the memories of, of, of the things that have happened in the past that have made you withdraw. It's catch 22. You know, the reason that you're stuck now is because you've experienced some painful shit in your life that conditioned you to believe that you weren't good enough and that you were better tucked away, you know, hidden. So that's, that's the first thing you're going to have to deal with. Wow. Um, so we've talked about the, the, the blockers. Let's get into the drivers. I mean, I think you've kind of, you know, alluded to them throughout our conversation. Mm-hmm. So on the section on truth, you said that truth is the number one driver of our swagger because it has the power to carry our authenticity out into the fresh air. Speaking your truth isn't a license to run around spewing your opinions or judgments on others either. It's more an antidote to feeling unheard, misunderstood, or suppressed in some way. If swagger is the authentic manifestation of who you really are, then speaking your truth must be in your toolkit if you want to be successful. So what are the components of that toolkit? Because you alluded to sort of when, where, um, and intention earlier. Yeah, I think I think when what we want to let go of is all of those moments in our lives where we say, I wish I would have said, or why didn't I say, or why did I say it, say that when that's not what I was feeling? Right. Imagine, imagine walking around being unburdened by that. So, um, you know, a lot of us really don't have a lot of experience in speaking our truth. So many, I know, I meet so many people who were raised in a household where no one was interested in their truth. They, they just, they weren't taken seriously, even as children. They were told to um, to not say certain things that, you know, in the worst case, you know, the, that children are, you know, meant to be seen, you know, and not heard. I, I, how many people I've worked with who come from cultures where, for example, being female or being dark skinned was a, like was a crime in their own homes, their own community. <laughs> You're speaking to an Indian were, person. Right, so. Yeah, right. And, and so all of those things, all of that, that truth has become so muzzled and muffled that they don't yeah. even know how to do it anymore. So I talk about practicing speaking your truth. You know, learning how it feels in your, in your, in your brain, in your mouth. What does your heart feel like? Because you can't just go from zero to, to like, you know, brutal honesty kind of thing. But as I said, that there's, there are, there are, um, you know, checks and balances in that, in that truth thing. First of all is if it's just for, for your own benefit, it's probably not going to fly. You know, it's probably not going to fly. If, you know, the, any truth that you could hope to speak has to somehow be reframable as being good for the other, for the collective or for the greater good. Even if it's super duper good for you. You know, if, if you feel like your boss is being an asshole or if something's not right, it means that because of the way that they're interacting with you, they're not getting the best out of you. And that's not good for them. That's not good for the collective. So if you go in, if you, you can have that conversation and go, you know, I don't like the way you manage me. And I think that you're, you know, you're disrespectful and you're all of these things. And I list out all, like I criticize this person to high hell and all the rest of it. They're just going to shut down. And my truth is going to just, you know, die a horrible death. But if I go in and say, hey, listen, 
I, I know that what you're trying to do is to build a team that's accomplishing X. I know you have goals. I know what, you know, what you, what you've invested all of your time and energy in it. And I know that my ability to bring a hundred percent to the table is going to be a benefit to that. Am I right? And the person's going to go, yeah, because that's fact. You go, okay. So I feel like as a result of some of our communication and some of the things that I'm experiencing, I'm not able to bring my hundred percent to the table. Are you open to talking about some of the ways that, 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 um, I feel like I could bring more of who I am to the table. Are you open to that? Now, if that person truly is in service of their, of their greater good and all the rest of it, they're going to be open to them. If they're not, you are wasting your breath. There is no point in having the rest of the conversation because they don't want to hear it. So I'm not going to waste my truth on people who, who don't have the capacity or the willingness to hear it. It's a, it's a waste of time, right? Not, you know, I, I, I will find other ways to do it, which leads me to think about uh, reframing, but also think about is right now in this moment, the best time for my truth to land. Sometimes you got to just shut it, hold your fucking tongue. You know, you might want to say it in the moment, but it's not going to serve your message. It can also be, is, uh, is, is this, the situation something that, that, you know, that needs my truth right now, or am I better served to wait until after it happens and then go around and talk to one person directly so that I don't inadvertently call them out or, or, or do something, you know, in that situation that's going to stop my truth from landing. So I always say it's, it's when, where, and to whom you speak it. Cause the, the, the goal is to have it, to have it land. And then we have intention, right? The why. Because if the reason you're speaking your truth is to big yourself up and make somebody else smaller, it's not going to go well for you. I don't care how true yeah. it is. It's not going to go well. If your goal is to, you know, take something away from somebody to have more for yourself, it's not going to go well. If it's, if it's to, to get back at somebody, to pay them back, but it's not going to go well. All those things, you got to check your intention. You got to check yourself because that truly is the, to me, it's the, the mark of someone who really has swagger. When, when you say, I understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, which is part of what gives me the courage to be everything that I am, because I understand what I'm in service of here. And it's not just my own ego. It's not just my own ambition. It's not just my own, you know, my own point of view. It's because I'm trying to contribute meaningfully to something beyond myself. And the last thing is self-belief. Right? You got you to believe that you're worthy of speaking it and that the, the world deserves to say it and that you are the right person to speak in and then no one can take that away from you. So those are your swagger drivers. Okay. So, um, just a few more questions. Uh, I had to ask you about boxing because I remember yeah. reading that thinking, okay, wait a minute. Like that's getting cool. Uh, what in the world made you get into boxing of all things? I, you know, I've always been, I've always been a big boxing fan. I think it's incredible. I, I, you know, and that's before I even really knew a lot about it, but I, uh, I, I just find it to be, it's playing chess with your body. It's, it's just an incredibly, incredibly intellectual pursuit, which most people do not think of it that way, but it, that's why they call it the sweet science. And when you understand yeah. it, um, you have a whole other level of respect for it. Um, I also love the, the, you know, the, um, the attitudes of boxers and what, what makes somebody really successful in the ring and all the different styles and all the rest of it. So when I was, uh, 48, I was like, Okay. I, I, I've waited too long to do this. Like I gotta, I gotta do it. I, you know, I, I, if I don't do it now, 
I, I'll, you know, physically, I won't be able to do it. So I, I found a trainer, this incredible man who was one of my closest and dearest friends, um, a guy named Virgil Barrow. And, um, he started to train me. And, um, when I was 51, I fought in my first sanctioned amateur bout, um, a black tie event <laughs> wow. in front of 900 people in order to raise money for cancer research. I raised 30 grand for cancer research and I fought my first sanctioned amateur bout. Um, I have never learned more about myself and about, um, you know, myself and, and, and so, like, so much more beyond myself than, than I have from, from boxing. I have, I've, you know, just developed this incredible awe for what it, you know, because people think that it's violent. And when you, when you actually train and you, and you fight, you learn it's like boxing people are the best people in the world because in order for you to practice what you do and learn how to be better at what you do, they have to offer them their, their own bodies up for you to practice on. So someone's got to be willing to get hit in the face in pursuit of your growth and your development. If, if there is no greater, there's no greater gift that you could give someone in the world, you know, than to say, yeah, try, you know, come try and pop me because that's a mark of you're getting better at what you do, you know? And so there were all of these beautiful things. We, we as boxers support each other massively. We spar with each other. We, it, it, they're the most supportive and loving people. My boxing people are the most real people on the planet. and um I just find that it has taught me just what my body can do, which is amazing. I've pushed myself further than I could ever have imagined, you know, doing that. It's the most like physically grueling sport in the world. Like when you're training for a fight and you're, you're doing, you know, to train, you're going like 13 rounds on the bag, like 13, three minute rounds on the bag. Um, because you know, you're going to fight three. But you will never know what it's like to fight three rounds until you're actually fighting three rounds because the amount of adrenaline that pumps through your body exhausts you. And so even though you go 13 rounds on the bag or you, you, you spar for five or six rounds or eight rounds, it, when you actually fight and the crowd is screaming and yelling and you're in that and you, you know, you want to win, it is, uh, it is a whole different ball game. So I've been boxing now for what, almost, God, almost 10 years or so. And I, I just love it with a passion, with a passion, best sport ever. And in this life, sweet, in this life, everyone should know what it feels like to take a solid head snapping punch to the face and know that they're just fine after it. Amazing. Well, you know what? I know that just from having this conversation with you, I think our listeners are going to want to hear a lot more from you and <laughs> probably have a lot of questions. And I wanted to see if you'd be up for participating in a after show that we do on something called Airspaces, where basically you can asynchronously communicate with our listeners. They will be able to submit questions and you can actually record answers for them. If you're up for it, we would oh love to have God, you participate. Oh my God, yes, absolutely. Cool. A thousand percent, all in, all in. Okay, awesome. Um, so anybody listening to this, that will actually be at unmistakablecreative.com slash participate. Uh, I know that some of you participated in it for the cult series, but we wanted to make sure that you understood that this was not an ad for a product. So I figured we'd actually mention it uh, on air. Uh, Leslie, I, this is why we need to do this, because I feel like literally you and I could talk for five hours. And uh, <laughs> in the interest of time, I want to finish with my final question. Uh, and that is, what is it that you think makes somebody or something unmistakable? Uh, I think when you embrace 
everything that you have and everything that you are, all of the messy, flawed, imperfect, unshiny, you know, visceral shit about yourself, then your your uniqueness becomes absolutely unmistakable. I know without a shadow of a doubt, there is only one Leslie M in the world. And I am so good with that. And I'm going to remind people that there is only one Leslie M in the world every day that I live. And when you, when you meet me, you know it. And that, that's because I do just that. I'm not afraid of my grunge and my goodness and my mess and all of that stuff. Um, and I'm not afraid to embrace it and I'm not afraid to share it with other people. So I think that's what makes you unmistakable. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your wisdom and insights with our listeners. Uh, I have to say you're probably my favorite guest this year so far. Oh, I love you too so much. We are, we are <laughs> friends now. This was like, this was, if, for people listening, this is was a friendship happening before your ears. That's what was happening here. We were watching it just happen and then get cemented over over time. So this is yeah, the beginning. Absolutely. You can you can all say that you listened to the beginning of Leslie and Sweeney's um, uh, friendship. Amazing. Where can people find out more about you, your work, uh, your book, and everything that you're up to? Uh, you can check me out at lesliem.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-E-H-M.com. You can check out the book. It's swaggerthebook.com. It's available on all on all the platforms and all the, the, the things. And so any good bookseller and, um, and I love playing on social as, as you know, I, 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 you know, I confess that I, I take what I do incredibly seriously, but I don't take myself that seriously. So I try and have a lot of fun. Uh, you can find me at Leslie M speaks on Instagram at Leslie M on LinkedIn at Leslie M speaks on Facebook at Leslie M on Twitter. And listen, I am the most accessible person in the world. So if, if anybody's listening and they have a question, they want to know something, just reach out. I'm right here. Happy to talk Amazing. anytime. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.